This text is taken from a book called the Eish Kodesh. The Eish Kodesh means the Holy Fire. It was a book that was written by a rabbi who lived in the Warsaw Ghetto, the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto. It's the only teaching, the only manuscript that we have from someone who lived inside of the Holocaust and wrote a theological and Hasidic work. The Rebbe of the, of the Warsaw Ghetto is known, otherwise known also as the Piazetzner, from the town, the suburb of Warsaw, where he was the Rebbe, the Rebbe of Piazetzner. Rokonmas Kalman Shapira was, was, became a Rebbe at the ripe old age of 17. He was 17 when he became a Rebbe in Grodzisk. His father was the Grodziska Rebbe. The Esh Kodesh, the Holy Flame, was an inspiration. In the course of one week, and again, not to be, just to be real here with the theme, in the course of one week during the bombing in 1940, he lost his only son, his sister-in-law, his daughter-in-law, and his mother. And yet he refused, refused to give up hope in the human condition. He refused, he refused, he refused against all other signs. He refused to let go of the rope of the thread, the rope of hope. And so this teaching comes to us, we have very powerfully, we have the date of the actual teaching, December 23rd, 1939. If you can take yourselves there, December 23rd, 1939 in Warsaw. And at that point, historically, all of the, all of the schools, all of the religious institutions in Warsaw have now been closed. So imagine you came to shul this morning, the door has been locked. You go to the mikvah, the ritual bathhouse, locked. You go to go study Torah this afternoon somewhere, locked. Everything in Warsaw that is Jewish has been closed. And you can imagine the despair. You can imagine as he faced this morning's Torah portion, as, as Arthur did, with what had transpired during those previous weeks. You can imagine him looking into the Torah portion and trying to find hope, trying to find some message that would in some way give him, give him a sense that things are going to get better. Somehow there has to be a thread of hope. That's where he is coming into this reading. So let me give you some background. For those of you who don't know, this Torah portion is unique. It's not only unique because it's the 12th and last of the Torah portions of the book of Genesis, but it's unique in that it begins in the middle of a sentence. In other words, in every Torah portion, there is a space, literally a nine-letter space, that separates the previous Torah portion to this one. You can see it when you're looking for it in the Torah. If you want to find the Parsha, look for the white space that... that symbolizes a break. Vayichi, this Torah portion, has no such break. The word Vayichi appears right after the word that came before it, without any of the even bare minimum space. And so the rabbis understood this kind of illusion in the Torah to mean that the Torah was closed. This portion is a closed portion. And there's a lot of Midrash, a lot of rabbinic story as to what did it mean that the Torah portion itself begins without any space, no spaciousness. It's a closed portion. And that's where he begins, and that's where we'll begin. Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years. Rashi, the medieval exegete, quoting the Talmud, says, why is this chapter, why is this parsha closed, nistam? That, that is, why in its written format does the Torah text continue directly from the previous narrative without the space that usually precedes a new paragraph or chapter. Everybody get the question? The Torah portion, if you were to open up the Torah and we would leave it here, 
the, this week's Torah portion doesn't even have a bare minimum of space, a kind of pressing of enter, to say new paragraph, new story. The word Vayechi, the first word of the Parsha, begins immediately after last week's last word, without even a, even, even a, a, a space of separation. It's a closed Parsha. Does that make sense? So that's the question. Why is it closed? Rashi explains, because as soon as our father Jacob died, the eyes of the Jewish people were closed and their hearts were blocked. That's the first answer Rashi gives. That the death of Jacob itself is represented by the closed Parsha. That Jacob's death closes the eyes and hearts of the Jewish people just as Jacob's death closes the Parsha. The Parsha is closed to symbolize to us that when someone is sweet and holy and special as Jacob dies, not only is the Parsha closed, but our hearts become closed and our eyes become closed. That's one. Two, second answer Rashi gives, and this is the most important one. Jacob wanted to reveal the end of the exile to his children, but it was blocked from him. Says the Piazetzner, we need to understand the quote, Jacob wanted to reveal the end of the exile to his children, but this was blocked from him. Does it mean that the desire of our patriarch Jacob in this matter was thwarted? Immediately after the portion begins this morning, Jacob calls all of his children around him and says, Gather around me and I will tell you what will be at the end of days. Jacob is about to bless his children. He's about to say, this is what's going to happen at the end of days. But then if you look carefully at the Parsha, there's no mention of what's going to happen at the end of days. Jacob says, gather around me, everybody. I have a story to tell you. Come on, Felice, come sit around. Everybody, let's sit around. We're going to tell the story. I want to tell you what's going to happen at the end of days. I use that word. And then you're waiting as I'm speaking to you. Tell me, Dad, what's going to happen at the end of days? And then you look in the Parsha, and Jacob doesn't say what happens at the end of days. All he does is, I want to bless you, and I want to bless you, and I want to bless you. He doesn't say anything about the end of days. So the rabbis say he wanted to tell them how the exile, remember everybody, in this week's Torah portion, what's happening next week in the beginning of the book of Exodus? We're going into exile. We're going into a dark period. We're going into enslavement. We're going into when are we ever getting out of this place? Jacob wants to tell his children, trust me, in 300 years, it'll be, you just, it'll, it'll, it, it's just a couple of years. It just, there'll be a man named Moses who's going to come along and he's going to free all of you. It's all, it's going to be great. You can handle it. Don't worry. It's, you, you're strong if you just trust me. But nothing. Nistam. He doesn't have anything to say. He doesn't give any advice. He doesn't give any intimation. So that closing is the closing of the Parsha. In other words, the Parsha is a closed Parsha to let you know that Jacob yearned to say to them what would be in the end of days, but the Parsha closed. God said, no, you can't tell them. So the Piazetzner in the Warsaw Ghetto, with all of the things around him, wants to know, could it be that Jacob, who wanted to give hope to his children, was thwarted by God? That doesn't make any sense. God wouldn't tell them, here's a little thread of hope as you go into the exile? That's his question. So let's read his answer. The Holy Zohar says, on the verse, Jacob blessed Joseph and said, the Zohar asked the following question, what blessing did Joseph receive when Jacob blessed only Joseph's sons, what we asked before? Why then does the verse say Jacob blessed Joseph? The Holy Zohar answers as follows, Joseph was blessed because the child's blessing are the blessings of his parents. 
Consequently, the blessing of Joseph's children was Joseph's blessing. With this, we can understand the quote from the Talmud in Masechet Berchot. There's an amazing Talmudic statement. The Talmud records a story, a conversation between the high priest Ishmael and God. Here's the, the conversation. God said, Ishmael, my son, bless me. Everybody get that? Because I can see that you're not with me when you don't get how crazy that is. I'm looking around and thinking, you guys should all be going, what? God says to the high priest in the Talmudic story, bless me, Ishmael. His name was Ishmael. It's a whole other conversation how it was that names that used to be. It was interesting that we used to use the word Ishmael, the name. God says to the high priest, bless me. What kind of blessing could God want from a human being? So listen to the answer that the high priest gives him. This is a Talmudic story, okay? This is in the Talmud. Ishmael says to God, May it be your will that your mercy suppress your anger and that your mercy prevail over your other attributes and that you deal with your children with your attribute of mercy and love. And may you never be judgmental of them. And God nodded his head. God nods his head. Apparently, Yishmael, the high priest, got it right. God says, give me a bracha. Bless me, because you're the high priest. After all, that's what a high priest does. It gives a blessing. You, Mr. High Priest, give me a blessing. You, God, what can I bless you with, God? You're, I'm looking here. I'm looking wherever you looked for, God. You're, you're everything. What can I bless you with? What can I, here, let me give you a bracha, God. Let me make sure, God, that you cheat your children, your children, your children with love and with mercy, and you overcome whatever other rationales, whatever reasonings you have. And God God says, nice. Good bracha. So he says, this is an adu- he adduces this as a proof for the Zohar. You see that the greatest blessing you can give a parent is for the parent to bless their children. Bless your children, God, and if you bless your children, that's a blessing for you, God. Just as Joseph, his children were blessed, and that was a blessing for Joseph. And now, listen, watch, he says. When the Holy One said to Yishmael, on the top of page 29, when the Holy One said to Rabbi Ishmael, bless me, Rabbi Ishmael, bless the Jewish people that God should treat them mercifully. From what we have discussed above, we can easily understand this Talmudic story because the child's blessings are the blessings of his parents. And so the blessings of the Jewish people are the blessings of God. Conversely, when our father Jacob died, the Jewish people descended into the depths of suffering to the point where even the Torah was damaged and wounded. This then is our greatest and ultimate hope that if our suffering has such an effect and causes damage at such supernal levels, then surely God will save us. So here is this radical teaching. Why is the Torah, why does the Torah depart from its usual stance of creating space between the parshiot, between all of the portions. Why is this Torah portion different from all other Torah portions? Why is this one have no blank space between the letters of last week's Torah portion and this week? Why is it a different quality to the Torah? The Piazes Rebbe says that that is a blemish in the Torah. That is, in, that is the Torah breaking itself. The Torah closed itself to say that when my children are descending into Egypt, when my children are suffering, I myself, God, suffer. 
This notion that God suffers, that the universe suffers when there is pain, and that it is, it is a diminishing, the diminution of God's grandeur when there is suffering and pain is expressed orthographically in the actual text of the Torah by a closed Torah. God herself is closed. As you descend into Egypt and the blessings that I wanted for you need to go through the exile, whatever that exile is, know that the sign of the Parsha is a sign that I'm with you paradoxically. And now he ends with his own situation. Our father Jacob wanted to reveal the end of the exile to his children, but it was blocked from him. This circumstance is itself, in itself heralds the end of the exile. If this chapter of the Torah text is blocked off because our father Jacob was blocked and prevented from revealing the end, which suggests that knowledge of the end was denied him, then the damage was indeed cosmic. Similarly, whenever we see that the troubles have grown so great that the Torah itself and the study halls of the synagogues and the yeshivas and the mikvahs and all of the other places in the Warsaw Ghetto are all closed and locked, we can take heart, says the Piazetzner, for it is clear from these circumstances that the damage is cosmic indeed and reaches the small and the great. And so we can surely trust to God that the end is, is so close. You see what he did there? He said that when you look at suffering, you can see it as endless and endless, endless. It never is going to end. But he says the very part of us that closes, the very part of us itself has the seeds of liberation, that we can find hope even in, especially in that place that is closed. Because in that place, it, in, a, in a sense, it's kind of the universe is responding to us. We're part of a larger fabric. That there is, in a sense, I think what, what Arthur was saying so beautifully is that there are moments especially that through suffering we're able to connect with some greater purpose and some greater insight. There is great hope that can be born from suffering. So I think that, you know, it's, it's really powerful then that Jacob in this week's Parsha, in the only place in the Torah where the word hope appears is in the moment before they go into exile, that Jacob says, I yearn for your, for, your, for your salvation. I yearn for your hope. So I wanted to give you that teaching because I think it's a radical Torah. It's a radical teaching about hope in the midst of darkness. It's a radical teaching about the possibilities of language to subvert itself. And most importantly, it's about invoking each within us, within each other. Um, a sense of, of togetherness even as, even as things sometimes seem bleak.